action. Yeah. <laughs> when do you, when you're looking for these guys, what do you, what jumps out at you? What do you look for on, on Instagram? I just hope someone will come on the show. So uh, I, 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 I would have to look back into the uh, exact conversation, but I think um, I get, I get a lot of DMs and I think this guy said something like, Hey, I'm a cop. And then we start talking and he tells me where he's a cop and I'm making this up now. And then I, um, we start DMing back and forth. And next thing I know, I'm like, he, he must have said something that intrigued me. And I'm like, Oh shit, that'd be cool to talk to this guy on the podcast. You know, what's funny is someone asked me the other day, who are your dream guests? And God, I think if I, I don't even really know who my dream guests are. I just like talking to people. Seems like we've had mostly men so far. I know. Yeah. I get that comment a lot. Not, I shouldn't say a lot. I'm always, I've always, since I've been a little boy, I've been always kind of a little scared of women. Intimidated oh. by women. Are, are you intimidated by women? Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, actually, I think that it would, wor working in CrossFit has made me like less intimidated by women as I've, I mean, some of the women in CrossFit look very intimidating, but when you sit down and talk to them, they're not. Um, when I used to do the behind the scenes, I, I never thought it more of their looks. I just, I guess what, and that's kind of weird too, because I, you know, I grew up in a household. Um, I spent most of my time with my mom and my sister. And when you're, when I grew up like that, it's funny. I never even really thought of them as women. I just think, I guess I just think of them as people, but I've always been intimidated since I've been, since I've been little, I've been sort of like intimidated by women and God, I don't know if intimidated is the right word. I'm more like a deer in headlights. I really struggled when I did the behind the scenes for CrossFit, for the CrossFit games to speak to women. Like that shit was hard. And bam, bam. there, he, there is. he is. All right. Oh, I'm just, my headphones got to get synced. Guido, we're, we're already uh, recording. Guido Patrizzi. How do I sound? I think my uh, headphones aren't working. You sound good. Can you hear us? So what was it like uh, working with John Travolta when you made Grease? It was awesome. <laughs> it's one of the first things people say. I was a name John Travolta. It's crazy. Oh, I didn't even so much think that. I don't see it at all, but some people do. It's funny. I, I, I really, really see it. That's not why I said it. I said it just because of your name. Um, a, a couple things I wanted to share with you guys. Um, there's few things greater in life than having a bowel movement before you work out. It's like, holy shit, the timing of that could not have been better. I don't know if you guys agree with it me. It happens more often than not. And um, I made a video yesterday on my Instagram and someone commented that they didn't hear a word I said because all they were staring at the whole time was is that my beard hair connects to my neck hair. Look at this. <laughs> Can you see that? It's like a cop. It's just one flow. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm going to have like a helmet here in a minute. At least you can grow a bit. I'm 34 and I can only grow patches. <laughs> and, and Guido, by the way, this is Brian Friend up here in the corner. Brian uh, Guido, Guido Brian. And, and the third thing is, is I had a dream last night and I'm not like a, a big, um, 
I don't mem- memorize. I don't memorize. I don't remember a lot of my dreams. But this one I not only remember, but I memorized it. I was in line at like some eatery, you know, and it was on a beach. And in line in front of me was Rich Froney with his shirt off. And I have this kind of weird relationship with him because I was I was very close to him. Well, I would think I was very close to him. And then we've kind of grown apart over just drama nothing specific but i think more just like other people's drama and whose side basically you're friends with matt fraser and uh josh bridges yeah and even and even more complicated than that there's been tons of like ripples up and down we made a, um, a movie about him when we were at crossfit and there was some uh there was there was there was some drama around that and But basically, but I really like him. All my experiences with him, he's been fucking amazing to me. I mean, he treats me so good every time I see him. But anyway, he was in line in front of me at this store. It was like a a place where you buy sandwiches on the beach and he was shirtless and we hugged. And in my dream, I actually remembered, like, I got the sensory feeling that I hugged him. It was kind of cool. And then I woke up and panicked that I had a podcast this morning and here we are. (laughs) Um. Guido Patrizzi is a police officer in Massachusetts. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, to say that. Yeah, that's good. We can go and with that. and um, he takes his his health and his fitness very seriously. Um, we are Instagram friends, and I uh, police officers have always been, you know, I and I and I make this assumption that police officers are a huge part of every, every boy's life, man's life in the United States. We spend our young childhood, um, avoiding police officers. And then the evolution of me was, is that I then started working at CrossFit where CrossFit, the foundation, the base, the base of CrossFit from when I started back in 2006, um, and, and Greg and, and the people around me would talk is the reason why the base of CrossFit is first responders and the military is because it's a fitness program that gets you the fittest and healthiest through nutrition and movement that you can be. And if your life depends on your fitness, why wouldn't you want to use the greatest fitness program? I.e. you have to run into a burning building and save a baby. You have to chase a bad guy and jump over a fence. But there are moments where your fitness could be the difference between life and death. And you can find endless videos on YouTube where police officers, um, you wish they would have had better fitness or you see that, Oh shit, that guy's fitness pulled them through. And then I had, um, kid. And so that, that, and I started hanging out with a lot of more, more first responders and police officers. And so my relationship with them changed because they became real people, not just guys who were trying to give me tickets for smoking weed in the park at a concert when I was 25 and then, of course, I had kids, and I have three little boys now, and I absolutely adore police officers because I don't want people on the streets who are intoxicated and can run my boys over when they're on tricycles. And there's, I could give you 10 million scenarios where I'm glad there's police officers. You know, um, we're at the beach, and there's guys swinging a machete around, and what do you want? You want the police officer to come and take them away so your little boys are safe. You're at a Starbucks, and there's you're trying to drink a coffee, and and sit with your boys and there's some guy taking a shit on the sidewalk in front of the Starbucks and you want to call the police. I mean, 
uh, I've personally chased four muggers down in my life and called the police all four times and they um, arrived and, and I don't want people stealing my kids' bikes or stealing anything now that I'm a hardworking American and my time is what allows me to make money and my time is the most valuable thing I have and so I want police officers to protect my, help me protect my possessions so they don't get stolen because that's like stealing time from me, et cetera, et cetera. So my relationship with and perspective of police has changed dramatically over the course of my life. And obviously if you're doing things that are illegal, and I don't mean that in a bad way, maybe some things that are illegal should be legal, but as when you're younger and you're doing more aggressive things that are illegal, you obviously want to stay away from police. And I've used the metaphor, that the analogy that police are like bees. They're vital to society, but you kind of want to, you should kind of stay away from them. You, they, they are, they are absolutely vital to society, but you should stay, you, you should stay away from them. And if you do interact with them, don't, um, don't squeeze their stinger. Don't pet them on their butt because they can bite. So when I first, so I don't know if it was Brian or someone, but they're like, oh, we're doing, um, we're, we're, we have Guido Patrizzi and I'm like, dude, not Guido that I'm pretty sure. And I'm not on from the East coast, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a derogatory term for Italians. Yeah. So then I, of course I Googled it. Uh, Sorry. Talk it. Say that again, Guido. I can't hear you. Thank you. Jersey Shore. (laughs) So I look up the term and, and lo and behold, you have a racial slur as a name. And, uh, that is, I think, probably the coolest thing ever in our woke society. I know, right? People are pretty uncomfortable saying it. They're like, is that really your name? I go, yeah, man, it's my name. Like, no, I don't believe you. I'm like, no, it's my name, guy. Do you have any uh, siblings? I have a sister. She's a normal name. Her name's Angela. So. Yeah, I had a, Her I had a friend. Her name's Cracker, Brian. <laughs> Cracker and Guido. No, I had, a, I had a friend in high school. They were Greek, and his name was Hercules, which is you know a unique name, and his brother's name was George. So it ain't like that. You gotta be jacked. <laughs> <laughs> How about the boys that are called Adonis? Oh, isn't that uh, Drake's son's name, Adonis? Right? Really? I think so. I think Drake's kid's name's Adonis, and he's no Adonis. Wow! Wow! Drake, the rapper, the Jewish rapper. Yeah, the Canadian. God, I love it that he's Jewish. That is so awesome. I got, I I have th- my I have three little Jew boys. My wife's Jewish, so I just my wife is Jewish too. Oh, no shit. You're a smart man. <laughs> That's what I keep hearing. Why do you think um, – a friend of mine told me that the success of Jews in society is the fact that they find hard work and intelligence sexy. And so they've bred based on that, and, and that's why they're successful. Why do you, do you, do you think – and he's kind of joking, but um, do, do you see any truth in that? Like do you see that they're – do you see your wife and her family's um, ideas? Cult, they have they have cultural ideas that make the, the the Jewish people successful. So successful. I mean, I don't look at it in that type of term. I I look at it as like you surround yourself with people you want to surround yourself with. You don't surround yourself with you know shitty people. You surround yourself with positive, goal setting people, and that's what people tend to go towards when they want to, you know, marry somebody, date somebody. You don't want to be with a shitty person. Why, how old are you? I'm 34. 
And, and why did you become a police officer? What was your when you were when you were a little kid? Did you go through all the phases I, that that I went through, where you see first when you're really little, you wave at police officers, and then something happens and you avoid police officers like the plague. Um, the my life goal was just to be hired by like the movie studios to be the one that teaches the Boston accent to actors, but that didn't work out very well. So I became a cop because that was like the only other option, right? I'm not a, I don't have a trade. I was never very handsy. Even today, I don't even, I have to like Google how to use a hammer most of the time. <laughs> and when I was a kid, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't a, I wouldn't say I was a bad kid, but I didn't have a father in my house for a little bit. And then I had my father and then straightened out really quickly. <laughs> um, go ahead, no, go ahead. And so, so tell me about how that creeps into your head that one day you're going to become a police officer. Um, I think I was just in high school and I had a run in with a cop and, uh, I actually got arrested for pretty much a, a non-crime, something I wouldn't even think about arresting a kid for today, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, I saw that happened to me in my experience and I was in, in a jail cell. And I'm like, wow, this sucks. Why, why did they do this to me? I'm not a bad, there's thousands of other people in the city doing bad things. They got me. Why? So I want to be somebody that changes that, you know, I don't want to be the, the cop just hunting people just for the sake of it. To better society. Is that what you were thinking? You're like, Hey, I can, I can help. I can help humanity here from this position. More so I can help people and just, uh, like, be a reasonable person in a uniform and not just, like, this this figure of authority because that's not who I am to begin with. And and how long have you been a police officer? Uh, I want to say, well, I graduated in 2013 from the academy, so what's that? I'm in eighth year plus now. Wow, so you started really young. Uh, yeah, I, w- I mean, what was I? I think I was just turning 30-ish when I, uh, no. So, yeah, I mean, it was mid-20s, right? Mid to late 20s. Were you young for the academy? No, I was actually, like, in the middle. I'm in the middle kind of group. We have, like, kids on that job now that are, like, 22, 23. I'm like, they're kids, you know? I thought I can't grow facial hair. They literally can't grow facial hair. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing. When I was twenty two, I was I was probably I don't know smoking an eighth of weed a day. I was on the verge. I was been in college for six or seven years as an undergraduate. I was on the verge of becoming homeless, and then there's these other kids who already seem to have their shit together, and they're becoming police officers. Do you see a theme? Is that how a lot of the reason why you became a police officer so that you could make change? Um, did you, is that a theme you see with your, with your peer group, your colleagues? I, I'm pretty fortunate. Uh, I hear stories from my other friends that are in other PDs and you say, yeah, horror stories about the guys they work with, women they work with. And, you know, I'm lucky and very fortunate to the the city and department that I work for is we all kind of grew up together. We're all friends and we all have the same kind of mindset of being reasonable and just, you know, being, you know, normal for lack of a better word, with people. And we're not like, we're very like, kind of like, not passive, but we're very even keeled with people. There's nowhere ever time where we're like initiating things that are just going to turn bad, you know? Is it, is it, 
Is it hard to get back into your? Well, I'm making a, a presupposition here. I'm. Uh, you're basically called all day. I'm guessing every day to situations that are don't show human beings in the best light. Like so, so you might go from one call where a guy was hitting his. Uh, wife to the next call where a guy's dumping shit out of his truck where he shouldn't be to a place where kids are throwing rocks at cars to someone who stole from stole from a liquor store is is that what your day is like is sort of seeing human beings at their lowest point all day long and if so how do you switch do you, have, do you ever lose faith in humanity or do you you know like oh my god this is we're in trouble yeah i mean it runs the gamut you know my city's pretty uh, diverse in that sense we um we deal with everything, every single thing from the barking dog to the neighbors that bicker at each other for nonsense to, to, you know, murder and shootings and stabbings and domestic violence is a big one, especially now people just locked in their house for the most part. And that seems like it's just increasing. So, I mean, as far as like my view on humanity really is not changed. It's just, we see the worst of it. You know, we see for lack of, you know, it's like we see people at their worst having their worst day ever. You know, you, how often do you call the cops for anything? You know, you typically don't. And if you do, it's probably really bad. So you're, you're already dealing with that. Is that a uh, is that a mindset that's that you guys are taught to embrace, or is that one that you just kind of have personally? As far as my views, like towards humanity, or. Well, just like when you're when you're called to a situation like that, I mean, it's very easy to go there and be like, "Oh shit, this fucking guy again is beating his wife." Or you could have the mindset that you talked about and be like, "You know, yeah, this is a terrible thing that he's doing, but like you said, he's at his worst day. Obviously, there's something wrong with him, and so you can have a little more empathy in the situation." Yeah, I mean, you just try to treat people as good as you can. I mean, I don't, I try not to. You deal with like the same, usually the same like five percent of the population every day. It's like you say this, you know, in my four days of work, I'm seeing the same person for the same type of thing all four days sometimes, you know? So it's easy to get very discouraged in that, but it's also, you, you, you kind of got to look at the bigger picture of, you know, this guy has a, or the woman has a problem. What can we do to address it so that he's no longer a problem? You know, is it yeah. like find housing or helping them find treatment facilities, you know, we can, we can facilitate those things, but ultimately we can only go so far. It's on the individual to make the change. Sure. Yeah. I've always wondered if, if like, you know, if you're pulling up to a situation like that, if you get, maybe you're with your partner or something, if you guys have a conversation that you're like, all right. And you set that mindset for yourselves before you go in. I know in, in my life, like when I have to have a difficult confrontation and, and it's probably nowhere near as difficult as most police confrontations are, that I kind of like go through a little routine in my head just to get my mindset right so that I'm as prepared for the encounter as possible. So I don't know if you guys train something like that, talk about it. Well, we typically we work one-man cars. I mean, usually multiple guys are going either way, but we work one-man guys. You know, on that ride to the call, I'm thinking of the worst thing that could happen. You know, I'm thinking of, am I going to get ambushed? Where, where I'm going to set up? How I'm going to stand? How I'm going to talk to this guy? You know, if I need, if I can be calm with them at first or can, you know, I do, do I need to be a little more aggressive with the guy or, you know, whoever, you know, that's my thought process is ultimately I'm thinking about how I'm going to be safe on the scene and setting myself up for success in terms of leaving that call the same way I came into it. How often um, do drugs and alcohol play 
in your calls? And has that gone up since we started these lockdowns and quarantines and, and this COVID response, what I call the COVID response? Yeah, I mean, that's 99.9% of the calls are that. But, you know, when you look at that, alcoholism and, and um, drug use, you look at the deeper issue of mental health issues. And there's just not enough funding in that field these days for people with mental health issues. I mean, people would look for a crutch, like, you know, where, you know, everybody looks for that crutch to lean on. And sometimes the only access people have are drugs and alcohol. They don't have access to the, the therapist or even just, you know, a family member, a friend. I remember taking my driver's ed class. I was, I don't know, 15, I must've been 15 years old before I got my license. And we had a police officer come to our class and speak to us. And he gave some crazy statistic. We had this main thoroughfare in my town called Contra Costa Boulevard. And he gave us this crazy statistic, like after 10 o'clock at night, two out of three people driving down the street had, had um, been drinking. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't drink and drive now, but, but I, you know, from when I, whenever I started drinking 17 years old, I never thought twice about drinking and driving. I would drink and drive, you know, all the time. And, um, it's, it's just, it's, it, and now I have kids. It's just, you know, I, my perspective has changed again. It's just completely unacceptable to me to be, to do anything that would impair your vision. Cause I see as vehicles as just like such danger. I basically see them as not only modes of transportation, but a good way to kill someone or kill yourself, not on purpose, but, um, so, so when you go to, when you, from a car accident than COVID, you know, I'm so, sorry, say that again. I said, there's probably more of a high, high rate of death from car accidents than COVID or anything else, you know? Right. And definitely people, um, you know, COVID is definitely, um, COVID-19, you know, when you get SARS and obviously if you're, if you're unhealthy, as you can see from the stats at, from the CDC, those are the people who are dying. You know, you got 94% of the people have comorbidities and 6% of the people they don't have data on. So I'm just going to say it's a hundred percent, but yeah, innocent people can die by innocent. I mean, they weren't complicit in their demise. They weren't doing anything other than crossing the street on a green light. And then all of a sudden a drunk driver hits them. Do you see a lot of drinking? Uh, like, like, like what percentage of the calls do you go to and uh, that where there's, there's drugs and alcohol involved? Uh, it's hard to put a number on it, but you know, you can, you know, when you go to a domestic and you smell the alcohol and pull people's breaths or you obviously know that's the problem. Uh, you know, when you pull up to a car and, just stinks of weed you know that's the problem you know so it's it's a lot it's definitely a lot i it's i I couldn't even put a number on it but okay so you're never surprised you're not like holy shit this guy's this guy's drunk (laughs) it's like when you go to the same the same oh we got a call for a uh say you know a guy screaming on the street okay well chances are he's drunk you know no normal person doing screaming in the middle of the street for no reason, you know? So you go there, you're like, oh, nope, he's drunk. He's screaming in the street because he's laying down, face down, blacked out drunk. How important, how serious do you take your own personal health? Um, Since, I mean, you interact with a lot of different people every day. Obviously, there's no way to completely protect yourself from, from, from violence or the coronavirus or whatever. How serious do you take your own personal health? I take it pretty serious. Uh, I think, you know, 
it's the backbone of everything, you know, especially if, when things go bad and you're in the fight for your life. If you're not cap- physically capable of doing that, you're doing yourself such a disservice. And you really, your family, your friends, everybody there, the community, because you're putting yourself at risk for something that's something is 100% controllable. When you say fight for your life, what do you mean? Like, say you go to, a, like, as a pop, you go to a call and you, you, it goes bad, you know, you're fighting. Like, you're in the fight for your life. You know, someone's reaching for your gun or you're on your back and someone's punching you. And, and literally, you know, how many, a lot of people have never been punched in the face. They don't know what that feels like or been in a fist fight before. And when that happens, what do you do, you know? And if you don't have confidence in yourself physically, how is that going to translate? So I take it pretty, I take it, I take it seriously. I, I'm no different than a lot of guys who I work with and around us. You know, we all, we're pretty young, so we all work out regularly, make it part of our routine. You know, I, on my four days of work, I always make it a point to come to work at least, you know, an hour early and get like a, a good PT session and where I'm like typically just doing a lot of running because I go to a CrossFit gym before that where my wife works and I get a good I get worked out there, so I usually work out twice a day on my work days, you know, on my off days. I mean, when I say work out, it's usually the hour CrossFit gym, and then I'll go to, like I said, I go to work about an hour early, hit the treadmill for like 20, 30 minutes, get a really good sweat, get a really good, get out of breath, you know? You and your uh, you and your wife have been around the CrossFit space for a while, huh? Uh, I started pretty much right when... Um, I got in the police force, you know, you, you know, it's expensive, you know, it's, you know, I had a job before working in the kids jail. It wasn't the most lucrative of jobs working for the state, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh, once you start being able to make some money, you can afford to do things like CrossFit, you know? So I've been in it since, uh, at least 2013, 14, maybe I think actually, you know what, I think what was the, what was the, uh, open announcement with Fraser and, uh, Froning? With the clean and jerk. What was that? 15? Yeah. 2015. That's the, f- that's the first year that you have on your uh, profile for the open. But I know a lot of people, you know, sometimes be doing CrossFit prior to sign up for their first open. Is that? You didn't even know like how competitive it was until like, I didn't know like the open and stuff. Like when I was in college in 20, what was that? 2010, nine ish when I graduated. Um, you saw it on TV, and I look, you know, I was like, "Oh, it's so cool!" So that's something I'd be into. And then you know, I Google it, and uh, I look at the price. I'm like, "Oh, that's way out of my realm, man." And I went to school in Framingham, and lo and behold, to me, knowing what I know now, CrossFit New England was down the street, and they offer internships for kids. And I had no no idea of even what an internship for fitness was, let alone CrossFit internship. You were so knowing what I know now. You were a, a football player throughout high school and maybe college, right? Yeah, I played uh, four years high school and four and a half of my five years of college. Wow! So you've been you were training, you know, and, and in shape prior to discovering CrossFit. Yeah, I mean, when I when I when I played football in college, um, my freshman and sophomore year were probably my better years. I was a little bit healthier. And then I had like a little bit of an injury in my back and. I couldn't lift and work out the way I used to. So I put on some weight. So I lost a lot of like speed and I didn't play much my junior and senior year because of that. 
amongst other things, but mostly it was because of like my physical decline in that sense. But I played, you know, I made it through, and I played. Well, I mean, you, you and I, you and I have a pretty similar storyline there. I mean, I was a college athlete from 2008 to 11, and and I had no uh, soccer, but I had no um, no awareness of CrossFit at that time. And then a couple of years after that, a few teammates of mine found CrossFit, and they convinced me to try it out, and it like totally shifted the way that I trained. But that was because, you know, I just happened to have coaches that didn't believe in weight training, which wasn't necessarily mandatory for soccer the way it would be for football. But uh, certainly as an adult, yeah, once I started actually uh, incorporating weight training into my my exercising routine and I've played in men's league soccer and it's, you know, it's very advantageous to have like uh, broader shoulders and a stronger frame as you're, you know, rubbing shoulders with guys on the soccer field. Did that change for you? Did your training methodology or thoughts around your, you know, your coaches and how they trained you when you were playing football? You're like, man, if I had known this stuff earlier, I could have been a better player potentially. Oh, absolutely. It's not even, it's like not even a question. Like the focus was on, um, you know, bench, squat, biceps, you know, doing like bodybuilding and trying to get as big and strong as possible. Like at one point I was benching 405 for a couple reps and, uh, but I was also 230 pounds at 5'9". So I was like a, you know, little little bowling ball, pretty much. Full what back. position did you play? Uh, in college, I played linebacker. I played a uh, middle linebacker. So, but yeah, I mean, knowing what I know now, if I trained the way I do now, back then, I would have been a completely different player. I think I would have been. It would have completely shifted my game and made me such a tr- better player. Like I barely squatted and deadlifted back then. You know and and uh, I could definitely use it back then. It would have probably made a huge difference in like tackling and shedding blocks and dur- and ultimately durability. Because if you don't, if we tore, you're gonna get hurt a lot. Is your area is the area you're in politically um, pretty liberal? Um, when I think of when I think of Boston, I think of. Yeah, Massachusetts, uh, you know, it's a, it's more progressive, definitely, um, which is good. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't class myself, classify myself so much as a conservative or a liberal, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, I believe, obviously my job, so I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to like laws and order and, you know, sentencing and stuff like that, the crimes, but, you know, ultimately I'm super socially liberal, like, you want to smoke marijuana in our state? You know, you can do it. It's legal. It's recreationally legal as long as you're of age, you know, medically legal. So go for it. I don't, it doesn't bother me as long as you're not driving around high, you know, same thing as drinking, you know, but you know, it's, you know, socially, I, I'm, I'm like super almost to the left, like to the point where I'm like, like a Bernie Sanders guy, but I'm, you know, I, I think, you know, healthcare should be mostly, you know, affordable and access to everybody and education is a big one for me that I think should be, you know, almost free to everybody. Healthcare, two, two things. Healthcare is a, healthcare is a really weird one. Cause I keep seeing that over and over. I keep seeing healthcare free for everyone. And sure. I, I love that idea, but here's the problem. 86% of all the money that's spent in the United States on healthcare is 
problems that the healthcare system does not have the solution for. So you get type 2 diabetes and you go to the hospital. They do not have the cure for you. That's the fucking problem. The problem is, is that our healthcare system it, it is being used for something that they are not equipped to do. By that, I mean they give you insulin, and there's tons of stories out there of the few, and, and, and I, I really hope I'm wrong. Feel free to yell at me in the comments. But the few doctors that actually speak to their patients and say, hey, actually, you don't need to take insulin. What you need to do is change your diet, and that way you won't need insulin – they get in trouble for saying that or the, or the doctors themselves don't even know that, right? Because they're told they're not biologists, most of them. They're not scientists and they're told that the cure is is to give or you know the the steps as they look at the flow chart, okay, this guy comes in, he has a high A1C, he's exhibiting signs of type 2 diabetes. And so that's the crazy part. I don't I I think the health care system is overfunded. But the problem is, is that we're calling firefighters to do the policeman's job and we're calling policemen, metaphorically speaking, to do the firefighter's job. You're being, th those poor people went in there to save people's lives, right? Let's say like you get shot. Now we need a doctor. Now we need a doctor. But the other 86%, and that's, for, that's 14% of the medical expenditure is things that, um, doctors can actually do. And then the other the other part about free education that I trip on is is that nothing is free, right? Yeah, there's a cost for everything, and I, and I see politicians say that we should make um, schools free for everyone, and I just wish that there was a little more honesty in the dialogue. I mean, that would be great too if people didn't have to pay for college. But the fact is, is that it's not free, right? And I think people paying, it's going to be everybody paying a tax, and and that's what. That's the problem. No one wants to pay more taxes. And, you know, I don't want to pay more taxes, that's for sure. I doubt you guys do. You know, we all got families to support and things we want to enjoy. And we need right. money. Right. When you, when something... I didn't. I didn't think this until I started seeing all the defund the, the sort of the defund police um, movement. But when I saw that, I started looking more and more at police. And... I realize that there is a the the big problem is is that it's for society is, is it feels like it's us and them when really it should it's a partnership. We pay taxes because we want policemen to be hired to help protect us and to enforce the laws that we believe make civilization move smoothly. So like a red light means stop and we need that we need everyone to follow those rules so that we don't have car accidents, right? And I have a fence around my yard that I don't want strangers to come into and I need police officers to help me sort of enforce these laws. And I feel like um I feel like the problem isn't the police. I feel like the problem is is society doesn't realize that it's a partnership. That like Yeah, yeah. Like imagine hiring a gardener to mow your lawn and then locking your gate shut and then getting upset at him that he didn't come in and mow your lawn. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing with like, we, we hire ambulances to move people around and then, and then they're rushing down the highway and we have that social contract track to pull over on the right as fast as we can and safely get out of the way so that the ambulance can take one of our brethren to the, to the, hospital and i just um 
to, to just start at something basic, as benign as this is, how how many times on a shift does someone thank you or say hi to you? Does that happen every single day? Honestly, since you know the whole thing started, you know, last summer, um, it's actually been a lot. I won't even lie. You can't even. A lot of people have like, I've been on the side of the road doing a traffic a traffic post, and people will stop me like, "Hey, you know, I just want to say thank you for what you do, and you're appreciated and stuff like that." It means a lot. It does because. Like, you you try not to watch the news. You try not to feel the pressure of the media, but you can't ignore it. And ultimately, it's always the loudest ones in the rooms yelling at you and telling you you're doing a bad job and trying to, like, beat you down, more or less, you know? So it, it is nice and it, to when people come up and say, you know, thank you, I appreciate it, you know? It's nice as opposed to, you know, a parent coming up and grabbing their kid and saying, he's going to, this is the one that's going to arrest you. I'm like... No shot. <laughs> Does that happen? It it happens, and I, and I try to as nicely as I can say, no, 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 no. That's I'm not going to arrest you, and if you need me, you call me. I'm your friend. You know, we're not. I that's something that like I think it's like an older thing. It's like an older tradition. You know, it's like when you walk in the store and people go, "Oh, it wasn't me." I'm like, right. Yeah. You know. Well, that that makes me happy to say that, and I've definitely upped my game. Um. When I see police officers, you know, like if I'm in line at the store and they're in there, I definitely have gone out of my way to, in the most sincere way I can to thank every single one. And I think it's really important. Um, it's not a job that most people want. I don't want that job. It's it's It sounds really, really, really hard, right? It's definitely not easy. It's not. It's 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 the greatest job in the world, but it's... The, ultimately the hardest in the world you know you're you're asked to do so much with so little sometimes you know you just do the best that you can why why do you say it's the greatest job everything about it i mean i'm i'm paid to, to interact with people you know I, i'm the type of person that if i was in a cubicle i'd i'd be punching the walls like trying to get out i couldn't do it. i can't sitting down right now i'm like fidgeting moving i have to crack my knuckles do something so it's giving me that freedom to just like if i wanted to Drive around, I can drive around. If I want to get out of the car, I can get out of the car and walk around and talk to people. No one's ever going to put the kibosh on that, you know? And, uh, and, and when it's good, it really is good. You know, when you, when you help somebody and it actually changes them and it gives them something, then yeah, that, then it's good. You know, when it's bad, it's bad, but it's still pretty good. I, I have, I live in Santa Cruz, California. It's about, 70 miles south of San Francisco. And one of my dear friends is a police officer here, a sheriff in town. And he actually told me, he said the same thing you did. Um, he said a little differently, but the sentiment was the same. He said that his job is the, the cornerstone of his job is talking to people all day long. And like, that's one of the most important things about being a police officer is being able to talk to people. And it's funny. I had never thought of that. Yeah. It's all we, all we do is talk. That's it. We talk, 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 talk. We go to calls, we're talking to people, we answer the phone, we're talking to people. That's why when I get home, I'm, I just sit in silence. My wife's like, can, can we talk? I'm like, I need a minute. I need a minute. She always gives me shit. Uh, uh, an another friend of mine, and I, and I had her on the podcast, she's a 20-year um, veteran. She's a lieutenant at a different police department um, north of me. She's on the SWAT team. I think she might even be the captain of her SWAT team. And 
I asked her, I said, would you want your daughter to be a police officer? And she said, before all of this went down, the, the, the George Floyd thing went down that, that sort of lit the fuse, she would have said absolutely. But now that the George Floyd thing went down, she said the job has gotten just really, really hard. And how old is she? My first question would be, how old is she? Uh, do you know how old she is, Brian? Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, no. Oh, I want to say she's... Well, she won the CrossFit Games in 2006. There wasn't so, a CrossFit Games in 2006, but I do know who you're talking about now. And two, sorry, 2007. She's got to be 45 to 50. 45 to 50? Yeah. Yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. maybe, yeah. So she's yeah. like yeah. probably toward the tail end of her career, and, and she's she's seen you know the complete shift where it was like no cameras, no cell yeah. phones, yeah. everybody having a full like recording studio in their hands, you know. So it, it, I can see that you know I wouldn't want if you know I don't have any kids, but if I did, I would paint them, try to get them somewhere else, and you know everybody loves a firefighter if you want to get in the field. You ever, ever seen Andrew? <laughs> if you if you ever seen a, an an unhappy fireman, I I've never seen one. So I I would point them in that direction more so. Um, but it's just a different job now. People, you know, it's different for me because I grew up with the internet. I remember being a kid in like AOL dial up internet and cameras, and you know, I've seen the full evolution of like technology to the up till today, and I've lived with it. We all live with it now. So it's not anything different for me because the accountability for me has always been there. And this and the camera just the phones make it more so. So some people struggle with that because, you know, for whatever reason, for us, I know with the people I work with, it's, it's not an issue. People are who they are and it doesn't bother them that we're being recorded or people are calling on you and this and that. I've had some, uh, some, we have some police officers who train at the gym I work at also. And last summer they had some pretty interesting stories specifically with regards to people like pulling up to the scene they were at and pulling out their phone and trying to record them. And they were like, these people, it's, it seems like they have an agenda. Like they're trying to catch you, you know? I remember this guy, he told me. Everyone wants that. Everyone wants to be the YouTube sensation, you know? Everyone wants to, to be that, to be the one that has the video. That makes it makes it big off that video, but if you're filming well, it's, media, and it's really, and it's nice actually, like like you said, there are a lot of people out there that are very appreciative of cops. Uh, he was telling me one story: is that there was a guy on the side of the road who had a flat tire, so he pulled over. He was on the highway, pulled over, you know, behind him, put his lights on, so people it was a more safe environment, of course. And it was, uh, you know, gets out to try to see if he can help him, whatever. And this woman uh, pulls up. In the right lane of traffic on a highway, pulls down her window, shoots her phone out there and says, what are you doing to that man? It was a man of color. And the man of color and the police oh, officer God. both look at her like, what? What?" And he goes, he's helping me with the flat tire. And, and he said, the look of disappointment on the woman's face was incredulous to me as she drove away. It's like, what? By the, by the way, my words, not your guys' words, ladies and gentlemen, that is racist. That is someone who thinks they're not racist, who is racist as fuck. Okay, sorry. My words, not your guys' words. 
That is what you call looking at someone based on their color. That's judging people by their color. That's the KKK's – I don't even know this. I'm making this up. I haven't read their <laughs> manifesto. But that is the KKK's manifesto to judge people by their color when clearly you should only judge people by the size of their nose. Clearly. Me and you would be number one for you too. <laughs> I'm king. I don't know. I'm pretty close. Um. Where where did your dad go? What happened? Where, why did your dad? Where did your dad go in your life? In, in the beginning, you said your dad was gone for a little while. Where did he go? So when I was a kid, my parents got divorced. So it is, you know, it normal. Got, <laughs> yeah. So uh, mine too. And uh, and I was a young kid. I don't even remember how old I was. I I was very one of my earliest memories was with my mom going, "Okay, this is uh, you're gonna go with your dad." I'm like, "What's that?" All right. And uh, he showed up. I'm like, "Oh." You're my dad. All right. And, it was, you know, whatever. It wasn't weird or anything. He took me shopping for, like, my birthday. I was like, all right, cool. And, uh, but, you know, he had his own issues with uh, substance abuse and probably some um, other things in his life. You know, he had, a, he had a rough childhood. So, so he wasn't around for a little bit portion of my life that I remember. And then when I was introduced to him, it was an every weekend kind of thing. And, uh, yeah. Is, is he still alive? Yeah, my dad's alive. We we talk, we text every day, or you know, every couple of days I check in on him, and you know, we uh, I moved in with him when I was in like eighth grade. Him and his uh, girlfriend fiance turned to his second wife at the time, and uh, you know, kind of changed my life having two people in the house. But yeah, and what that isn't that that's a little weird that you would leave your mom in the eighth. So your mom rate your. Your mom raised you until a certain age. You didn't know who your dad was. In fairness to my mother, I was not the easiest child. In fairness to my mother, I was not the easiest child. Uh, so it was probably pretty easy to go, okay, we need a, I need a break from you. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure she got tired of the school calling saying, oh, Guido uh, punched this kid today or Guido swore at this teacher today and he's going to be an in-house suspension or, yeah, he can't come to school for a couple of weeks until he relaxes, you know. And she was a, you know, my, my mother, I give credit to my mother, you know, she was a single parent and did the best she could. You know, she wasn't around a lot. She was always working. So I didn't have someone around to keep me in check, you know. It's uh, my parents, I think for sure my mom um, has told me that I was the most amazing kid that ever fucking walked the planet until I turned 13. And when I turned 13, I think the word was you turned into an asshole. And that's about the eighth grade, right? That's about the eighth grades. I think it was reversed to me. I think my parents, when I turned twenty one, they're like, "Oh, you're normal. Okay, we can, we can, we can, we can deal with you now." Um. So you're so your mom. And when you when you said your mom, did you have brother, do you have siblings? I have a sister. Yeah, I have a, she's and, uh, four years older than me. Okay, and so she you grew up with her, and um, and so. Were you a latchkey kid? Do you remember coming home by yourself, like, you know, in the sixth grade, coming home? and? Yeah, I was, uh, I'd ride my bike to school, and then I wouldn't be back at home until God knows when, well past the, like, lights being off, you know? So I'd be like, and doing whatever I wanted to do, because there was no one to tell me otherwise, you know? She would try to, my mother would, mother would try to punish me, and it really wouldn't work. I would try to charm her, and it would always work to get out of, like, being grounded or whatever. 
God, it sounds like I didn't get out of ground being grounded, but that basically sounds like my childhood. Basically, at some point, the babysitter stopped. I don't know how young, but very young. And then I would just ride, I just rode my bike everywhere, just, and then came home, and my mom wouldn't get home to work until five, six, seven, eight o'clock at night. I'd be in the house by myself. My mother worked at a bar, and she still does, uh, so she would be like three, four in the morning. She wouldn't get home, you know? So I was really just on my own with my sister, but my sister was, you know, a teenager at the time, so. She was being a teenager too, you know. So she wasn't around. So it was really just me learning from my friends or whoever I was hanging out with at the time to survive. And then what changed when you move in with your dad in the eighth grade? In the eighth grade, what did he do? What was it like? First thing, you know, my stepbrother, my uh, he he was he played football, and they first thing they did was he needs to get this energy somewhere. So they put me in football and turned into pretty natural thing for me to play football you know so they so it gave me some type of structure and there was an emphasis my stepmother you know to do well in school so you can go to college and and continue education because you know my my dad worked with his hands he still does and you know destroyed his body and he's on the best shape right now so was he able to overcome was he able to overcome his addictions oh yeah, yeah. my dad i i don't even think he's had a more than one drink ever that I've seen him have, you know, and it's usually like on his birthday, he'll have like a little, I think, I think one time he ordered a, uh, like a Long Island iced tea and I'm looking at him like, what the hell are you ordering? But, you know, some, you know, just a, it wasn't like a, it was more like, oh, this is, I can do this and I I can be normal, you know, this isn't a problem for me, but it's not like uh, he drinks regularly anymore or anything like that. It's, it's like a once in a 10 year thing. Like, Oh, okay. This is, I can be normal. You know, I can do this and control it. So it's, it's more of him trying it so that he can, I feel as though, so he knows he can control it and he can. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. It's, it's amazing. You know, it, I, I, I don't know what the stats are, but it's gotta be pretty low to not have one of your parents in your life as a child and then build a relationship that sounds like your relationship with your dad, uh, you know, who you text or speak to every day or every other day. It's pretty awesome. Good job. I'm guessing a lot of that has to do with him, but also a lot of that has to do with you, the effort you put in, right? I mean, it's effort. You put it in, you put it in to, to maintain that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, because, you know, you get old, you just, you get busy in your own stuff and you got to like, oh, I have people I need to like talk to regularly. You know, I have to talk to my parents. I have to talk to my dad, my mother, my stepmother. I got to talk to these people, my sister. How do you think that was instilled in you? I, I, I don't think it was necessarily instilled in me. It's just something I always felt compelled to do. Like there, there's long, there's been, you know, me and my mother and my father, we don't, we, we don't have like the best of relationships. You know, I don't want to paint this picture like, oh, we're like this perfect family. We're really not, um, which we, we try our best. So I try to make it a point that to talk to them because there's been periods of time where, like, there was a, I want to say, like, three, for the better part of three years ago, me and my father just didn't talk. You know, some some stuff happened or whatever, and, you know, we just didn't talk. And it was no fault of our each other. It's just we're kind of the same person. You know, we, we're stubborn. We, we kind of hold grudges, but not really. But we're very difficult to deal with, like, on the emotional level. We're just like kind of not there sometimes. So it takes a little bit to like suck up your pride and go, okay, I'm going to 
reach out. I, I, there was a point in my life, I don't remember how old I was, I was in my 20s, and I made this vow to myself to never say no to my parents again. It was just a weird kind of like, I was like, okay, my parents are going to ask me to come over to their house and help them put together a lamp, or they're going to tell me, hey, I need to come over to their house and do A, B, or C, because my whole life I just said no. My dad would be like, hey, go in the backyard and dig a hole. I want to plant some lemon trees, dig three three foot deep holes and I'd be like no and everything my automatic response was no and so at some point I made a conscious decision in my life you know what they're my parents and this is a kind of a cool practice to put on myself I'm just going to start making sure that I always say yes so like my dad came over to my house the other day and I have this grapevine that's over these two arbors and I've spent the last three years training it to like weave in and out of all of the trellis and my dad comes over and he's like, hey, do you mind if I trim your grapevine? And I'm like, go ahead. And I remember him hating his dad trimming shit in the garden, hating it. My dad would come in the house and be so fucking angry at the shit my grandfather did. And I go out there in my three years of meticulous training of this grapevine through the trellis completely destroyed you know 200 twist ties pulled down and set in a pile on the ground and my grapevine is completely just neutered and it's probably the way i mean he probably pruned it in the way that he thinks will give the best amount of grapes but that's not what i was going for but i just you know what i'm like you know what fuck it it's my dad and he wants to do this and it's like whatever like it's easier just to suck not even easier there's something to me that just feels like it's the right thing. Like I just reached a mature enough age where it's like, hey, my, it, my parents' happiness is important to me over everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it comes with age, right? I mean, you at an older age, you realize like, oh, my parents are getting old. I, there's, our time to be good to each other and be around is slowly, slowly take, being taken away from us. So we need to you know, maximize that time with them. Yeah, there, there's a, there is an age as a human being where everything is everyone else's fault, which is really cool. But if you were to develop into a complete human being, at a certain age, you have to flip the entire script and everything is your fault. And maybe some people aren't going to like the word fault, but it's your duty to respond to it in a healthy way that makes it better. And there's really no time for bitching. Yeah, you're really just checking your ego. And taking and taking personal responsibility, right? Being self-deprecating, be like, you know what, this is this is my fault. Yeah, this issue is my fault. I have to address it. And even if it's not your fault, the solution is your responsibility. You have to find a way to fix it. A, fr a, fr a friend of mine, Travis Bajant, um, told me one time. I was, I was probably my early thirties. He said to me, anything a man does sexually, if it surprises you, you do not understand men. And that really like – I was like, holy shit. Like, And you can think of the craziest, most violent acts to the least violent. But I was like, okay, I agree with that. If you do not understand men, if you – if anything they did sexually surprised you. And then – as I got older and that really stuck with me, I thought, oh shit, anything that a man does who's between the ages of – and I'm making this up. This is arbitrary. 16 and 35, 
anything they do from the most vile heinous crimes on the planet to the most benign shit and they could do them back to back if it surprises you you don't understand men so where am i going with this my point is is that men who are young men should not be left upon their own accord there is way if you were to put brian and guido and i together at 17 years old we could be the nicest boys ever you know, help old ladies across the street, um, always take the trash out for our mom. But if you left us on the side of the street next to a pile of rocks, Guido would start juggling the rocks. And then Brian would be like, hey, I think hey, I, 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 I would be the one what? to throw on my what? class first. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Brian would be juggling the rocks. And then Guido would say, hey, watch this. I bet you I can hit that sign across the street with a rock. And then I would be like, hey, dude, that's nothing. That sign's standing still. I could hit that car. And next thing you know, we'd be throwing rocks and we wouldn't give it a fucking second thought about it, whether it being right or wrong. That's just the way young men are, people. We have crazy, crazy amounts of energy and we have to use it. And whether it's sitting in front of a TV and eating um, nonstop bags of Cheetos and becoming 150 pounds overweight and dying at the age of 42 from a heart attack, that energy will be spent. I, I believe that our society... That one of the biggest hindrances to society is the fact that we're not keeping our young men busy. They need organization and they need organization. They need structure. They need guidance. They need to be doing things. They need good habits. We are freaks. You have to understand that like once we start deciding that we want to procreate and it creeps into us even before we know what procreation was, you know, right? That's why I like my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Allen. I didn't know why I liked her. But I always wanted her to come home with me, you know what I mean, and give me a bath and like tuck me in. And like I knew something was going on. And she never did, by the way. But, um, and I hear that, I, I hear that your story is just classic. Here's a kid going through up until the eighth grade, he's at home just trying to figure out life on his own. And you're basically feeling around in the dark and you have all of these hormones pumping through you. And then you get a stepbrother and a dad, and they lead you to football. And now you have something to really put that energy into. And if you don't give young men that energy, if you do go into a society, and I've been to countries where you drive down the street, specifically I was in Kenya, and I remember driving down the street, and on every street corner, there would be, in Mombasa, there would be these 10 to 30 young men hanging out, you know? And I would be, and I just remember thinking, holy shit, that can't be good for a society. <laughs> that, that young men need to be um, busy. So as you as you travel around, as you as you police your city, does any of that what I said resonate with you? That 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 young that you see a lot of the people getting into mischief as being young men. And I'm not even saying that is a bad thing. That's the mistake. People think it's a bad thing. Of course, their actions are bad, but like you can't expect more from young men. Yeah, I see kids all the time, and I look at them, I go, why are you walking around aimlessly? Football practice is going on right now. Track practice, basketball practice. You know, why? how are you not involved in something? I go, you, at some point, walking up and down the street all day is just counterproductive and going to lead you nowhere. You know, even if you don't, you don't like the sport of football or something, you don't like basketball, you guys still got to try it to know you don't really like it. Because, you know, I didn't like CrossFit when I first, you know, um, you know, 
it's it sucked, but you grow to love it, and you and and you find that that without that, you have really nothing else to do. What you know, like if, like if I didn't have if I if I didn't find CrossFit, I'd probably be three hundred pounds, six feet wide, and uh, just a slob, more or less. You know, I wouldn't be doing anything. Like you said, you I mean. I would get my type of personality is I I need something to to do and something to focus on. So if it's not CrossFit or if it's not boxing, if it's not you know MMA or some video gaming or whatever, what am I going to get into? You know if that's if it if it's not something positive, it's got to be negative. So, Guido, are you are you still uh, are you still actually boxing? Um, well, with COVID, uh, yeah, I haven't been able to, I mean, the gym is operating. Uh, I trained at a, uh, at a Muay Thai MMA gym, uh, City of Tong in, uh, Somerville. Somerville is super, super, super liberal. So they, uh, kind of gave them a hot time opening up. So I, I'm not even a hundred percent sure if they're opening up right now to the public or anything. Like I didn't have a membership. I would do like drop-ins and I was friendly with the coach. So he would, uh, kind of trained me, but you know, I would, I just don't have the, the, uh, like the time more or less now, but I would love to, I would, it was, when, when was the last fight? When was the last fight you did? Uh, when was that? That was, um, pre, what? It was like August of 20, what's it? 2021, 20, so 2019, I want to say 2019. It seems like, I mean, just scrolling through Instagram, it seems like those fights are some of the things that get you most fired up. Oh, there's, fighting is the most, probably the hardest thing someone can do, especially like where you, where you think about the risk, like say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take a boxing match. Sure. Now throw on, everyone's going to watch it. Well, who's everybody? Everyone you work with, your friends, your family, they're all going to come out and watch you. They're going to be in person. Uh, do you want to get knocked out in front of them or do you want to put on a good show and put on your... <laughs> with cops, that if I got knocked out, there is no way there wouldn't be memes of me hanging up at the station knocked out or something like Nate Robinson was. <laughs> Ouch. It's, def- it's definitely something that you have to put your all into. You can't half-ass take in a fight. So it's something that you train extra hard for. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm training for, you know, the Open, where like I have no shot going to the games or regional or RIP regionals. So, you know, some. Sure, yeah, you can hide, hide, You can do those workouts at home. No, you don't need to publicize them for anyone if you don't want to. But the boxing ring, it looked like, I don't know what level, I'm not sure what level you ended up like actually fighting at, but it looked like there were you know, a decent amount of people even there live in the, in the stadiums or the arenas. Oh, yeah, there was, it was both, of, both the shows were packed with people, packed with people. It, it, the adrenaline of that is insane, so. I can only imagine, like, I think, what, Josh is fighting Jacob Hefner? I think they're the, the yeah, I think they're the undercard for the Mountain and Eddie Hall. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, that's going to be a freak show to be in with. <laughs> when you... Big enough to hold them. When you see, have you watched any of Josh's boxing footage? Yeah, 
Yeah. Are you, are you concerned for him or do you like, oh, no, he has some skills or? You know. Be honest. Be honest. No. When I look at it face value, Josh Bridges and Jacob Hapner, I see Josh, Navy SEAL, like one of the top, one of the, you know, better CrossFit athletes, you know, of his time. And uh, I see Mr. Nice Guy, Vanilla Ice Cream, Jacob Hapner. Super friendly. I can't even picture that guy having a mean bone in his body, let alone raising his voice to somebody, let alone throwing a punch at somebody. So I see that at face value. I go, you know what? Josh is probably going to win. And, you know, and, and I'm no expert at boxing. I'm, if you watch the fight, they're on YouTube, but if you watch them, I mean, I'm no, I'm more, uh, if I had to put it on a, a scale type of thing, I'm more, remember in Rocky one, when he was fighting in the, in, in the, in the, in the church, Right, the open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're awesome, Guido. That that I am Canelo, you know? So I'm no like polished thing. My my punches are looping, they're from you know, my chest and you know I'm no Well you better you better hope I don't land one though, right? Yeah, like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my like I'm more Nick Diaz than I am uh like Junior Dos Santos in his prime, you know, where it's I'm not one punch power. I'm come. I'm just throwing. I'm constantly throwing. I think my buddy, like it was the, the second fight. My buddy was like, "Dude, you threw like 500 punches." I'm like, "I feel like I threw 10." <laughs> I don't know. What What advice would you give to those guys? Like my my thought is this: they're doing all this boxing training. But they're going to go in there and there's not going to be any boxing. It's just going to turn into a fight. Like everything's just going to go out the window. And it's basically going to be, yeah. Ultimately, it's a fist fight. It's two guys, no training really, just fighting. And the only advice is don't let the, I mean, I don't, are they, they're fighting in a, are they, are they going to be fans there or no? I believe there will be fans. I believe it's going to be in Vegas. I suspect it's going to sell out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just t- to be completely honest, since he's my friend, I don't like the idea of him doing it. I, like, I need him for the I need him for the podcast. I don't need him fucking like coming back and like having a slur. <laughs> no, it'll be fine. Be, if he made it through buds and do and you know deployments, there's no. I mean, a, a boxing match is going to be a cakewalk. It's just like the moment. Don't let the moment get too big, and try not to let that adrenaline dump happen, and don't come out throwing everything. The first. What is? Tell me about the adrenaline dump. What's the adrenaline dump? That's crazy. I mean, it's nothing. It's like, like post, like how you feel doing Fran after. Like that's like what it feels like. Kind of like you're all the way at a, at a hundred, and after like the first three punches happen, and you get hit, and you get hit, and you go back to your corner, and you're like, what just happened? And then you're just low. You, you, it's it's a tough to get back up to that level. Do you experience that in your work a lot? Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, it was it was you like know you get a call that's crazy, and then afterwards you're like, oh shit, what the fuck just happened? It happens a lot. Like it was, we went to a call recently. It was pretty bad, and you know, it was it was really bad. And um, I think it was after, like later in the night, we were talking, and someone was like, oh yeah, I remember. That. I'm like. You were there? 
He's like, yeah, I was talking to you. I'm like, dude, I don't even remember having a conversation with you. You just get lost in that moment. And you just, it's really is like tunnel vision. You don't even realize it till after the fact. Like I was, I was talking to a guy and he was like, yeah, I mean, I helped you do this. I'm like, dude, I don't even remember seeing you. What are you, are you sure? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the next day you wake up. I woke up that next day, like the most beat down I've ever felt in my life. Like I woke up like what just happened? I Then I had to go back to work and do it all over again. You know, it's, it's something that like it's, it's undescribable, like that level of fatigue and mental exhaustion. It's, it's The mental exhaustion thing is super, super, super underrated and something that like you don't even acknowledge until it, it happens to you. Tell me what, what de- define mental exhaustion for me? Is that like just being like done, like mentally just, I can't, I, I can't even describe it. It was like an indescribable feeling that I woke up the next day and it was, it was, it was rough. Like the level of, I felt, I, I probably slept. I think my whoop said I slept for like seven hours. I felt like I slept for maybe like 20 minutes max. And I woke up completely zombified, like not even knowing what day it was. Do you see something on the job every day that you've never seen before? Um, you get shocked a lot. Definitely, you're like, "Oh, this happens." Okay, and you, you know, it's it. You get exposed to a lot. Definitely, I'm the, I, I'm never really surprised anymore. You know, it takes a lot to surprise me. So, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's like, sometimes it's like, "Whoa, this happens." And, what, do you remember the fir- do you remember the first time you showed up somewhere and there was someone dead? Not specifically, but you do remember that the times you 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 know you you encounter like a dead body or someone like that. You know, it's definitely something that uh, like time after time after time after time you see it, you you get like uh, desensitized by it. Like you definitely, it's something that you definitely. Um, that beats on you towards, you know, the, like the accumulation of it is something that will um, take a toll on you. But you kind of get desensitized to it during the time that you have. I, 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 I was in Isla Vista, California. I was in my 20s. I was um, making a TV show there. And I was, I walked up right on this scene as this guy had just drove his car into a crowd of, I don't know, a thousand people and he killed five people. And I was rolling the camera and he jumps out of the car and he goes, I meant to do that. I'm the angel of death. And the fucking crowd's going crazy and it's just fucking complete insanity. Half the crowd is trying to beat him to death and the other half the crowd is trying to protect him, right? Like, no, no, wait till the police get here. And... I'm I'm going around and checking the bodies to make sure if there's anyone alive. Like, sh- should I sit down with anyone? Should I hold their hand? Like, what should I do? And I'm trying to film the situation at the same time. And the bodies, I couldn't even, you know, like faces smashed in or torsos twisted on the body pointing the wrong way. And I remember seeing all of this and just being in the moment. And then a couple hours later, I was – or maybe an hour later, the police came. They apprehended the guy. Um, they took him away. And I went – back to my girlfriend's house, who's now my wife. And I remember l- being in bed and thinking I, w- I started like losing my shit. Like I had, like 
I had just done 20 hits of acid. Like I couldn't even believe what my brain was doing. I, I felt like I was just floating off into outer space. Like I could not believe what I had seen. But <laughs> what? It's that tunnel vision. Like you don't. But in the moment, it was no big deal. Yeah, in the moment, I was just there. But then afterwards, as I, my brain was trying to process what I saw, I couldn't process it. And I had this, it was the craziest night of sleep ever. I was just like, I was like terrified. I thought like basically I was in a dream. I was like basically losing touch with reality. It's a, there's times where like, you know, there's like this triggers for me, you know, like it's something simple as like, you know, eating like a chicken wing and, or, you know, breaking a chicken wing off and feeling that snap. And then I, if you're doing CPR on somebody, you're, you feel that snap because you're breaking that rib. When you, I mean, that's when you know you're doing kind of CPR right. It's like, you got to be forceful with it. And that's something that, that always triggers me when I'm like, you know, like I said, eating chicken. I'm like, oh, I hear that. And I remember that. You remember that feeling and you remember that sound and it just triggers you to thinking like stuff like that. Yeah, it's, 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 um, I bet you, I mean, speaking for myself, but I, I bet you 99% of society can't even fathom or hasn't fathomed all the different things that police officers see because you know on tv we just see the exciting homicides or the cat caught in the tree but we don't see all the millions of things that fall in between those two pieces yeah it's, it runs the, game. runs the game Guido, how important is it to do you think you know in, in the life of a, a police officer to have you know a supportive wife or a woman or a partner back home. It seems like you have a great relationship with your. It's huge. It really, I can't, she does so much for me. Like, um, just as far as like just cooking, knowing that I'm, I get home at like at midnight or one, I, I know there's food in the fridge. And I know I can eat now to worry about cooking or shopping or doing stuff like that. Or I just know that when I come home, it's everything's set. You know, she's kind of like the glue for me. So anyway, in your case, she's, She's probably just why guys like uh, when they go home and they have no one to go home to and, and they open the fridge and there's a six pack of beer in there and they get and that's their crutch. You know, that turns into a problem. So I can see I can see that in that sense. It's definitely important to have somebody home. I think uh, in, in your case, you probably have a, even a greater advantage when it comes to the cooking. Isn't she doesn't she work for working against gravity or did she used to? She's in. Well, no, she's in. She got uh during COVID, her gym was shut down, so she, she um, she took the course and she's certified now, and she she actually does. She has like, I want to say like thirteen or fourteen people that she does nutrition for every day, and you know it's like another job for her, so it keeps her busy. And I, I'll be honest, I eat whatever I want for the most part. She can't. I can't get be controlled when it comes to food. You know that's how. That's like. 99% of the reason I work out or the way I do is just so I can eat. I got a problem. But it's either, you know. It's it. So. Uh, how Say how old are you again? 32? 34. 34. So I, so I found CrossFit at 34 and I remember I was exactly the same way. Oh shit. I really want to eat a pint of ice cream tonight and watch, you know, a movie. I guess I'll work out twice. <laughs> I'll pay the man up front. Like I eat, you know, I try to keep it like uh, six days a week. I eat, I try to eat as carnivore as possible, you know, the carnivore diet. So I try to, yep. Yep. so it's like no carbs and just meat and eggs and poultry, whatever. And I, I try to do that six days a week. And then the seventh day I open the floodgates and I'm eating tacos or my, my big thing is pizza. I'm, I love pizza. Love it. Love it. Love it. 
So that's my my. Thing. Even though there's no violence in my life, like zero, I've lived this really benign, happy life. Everywhere I go, shit's fucking roses and puppy dogs. When I I. I really enjoy being out with healthy people, with strong people, with capable people. And so if my life is roses and puppy dogs, I could only imagine how important it is to you that your team, that your your police department has a lot of healthy and fit people. Can you talk to me about that, how important that is to you? The re- not only the responsibility you feel to be the best you can be to support your brothers and sisters out there, but what it feels like when you're out there with someone who's healthy versus someone who's not healthy. It's, it, it's, it definitely helps you. I mean, I, if you go into a call with, you know, somebody that doesn't take care of themselves, you know, when it goes bad, I mean, you're going to have to, I think that I have to, you know, take over and be like the lead guy. It, it makes it a lot easier when you go into a, a bad call and you have like four guys that are all fit and jacked and at least can run a mile without dying. So, I mean, definitely it, it affects you. Like Physical fitness, it's all confidence, right? You do it to feel good and and capable. If I have somebody next to me that doesn't feel fit, strong, capable, I mean, that's going to definitely change things, you know? And it's, it's kind of a disservice to everybody. I, like, I see guys that don't take care of themselves. It's it's something that you, you look at and you're like, wow, I'm going to have to be better at that call than you are because I have I, – that's my responsibility now because you can't take care of yourself. You know, guys, it should be kind of common practice, but it's guys get lost. Like you see guys in the academy come out fit, strong. Three months later, they got their bellies hanging over their belts. Like what, what happened? What, what shifted? You know, what it's nothing changed. The academy hours are pretty much the same as work hours. You're still there 40 hours a week. What, what's the difference? Like you're, in the academy, you're forced to PT. Here, you know, you're not. But you, it should be routine at that point. And it's it's kind of sad that it gets to that point that no one works out still. I mean, yeah, there's guys that go to the gym and you know drink their pre-workout and walk around and you know say they go to the gym, or say they work out. You know, there's a difference between saying you work out and actually working out. So you know, are you doing? Are you at the gym doing a bro split and you know doing chest and buys and leaving as opposed to you know, going to a CrossFit gym and smashing yourself and getting to the point where you are, you know, have trouble breathing because you're so smashed. At least you know that something guy. That, something that transfers to your work. Yeah, you know that's gonna that guy when stuff goes bad, he's gonna have that crutch to lean on. His conditioning, his strength, his overall body fitness, as opposed to a guy that has big biceps, a big chest, but can't squat one thirty five. Do you ever talk to these guys? Like, do you ever encourage them? Like, are you like, hey, do you come to the gym with me? Or do you, do you try to recruit them? I had, actually, I've had two guys that I, like, kind of trained. And uh, one of them, both of them reached out to me because they know I, I work out or whatever. And they're like, hey, you know, I want to, one of them was like, flat out, I, I got to make a change. I'm like, yeah, no, I'll help you. And, and now it's, like, part of this routine. And it's been, like, two years with him. And, and uh, he's pretty much, it's part of his life now. He just makes it a point to, you know, at least... 40, 40 minutes a day, he gets a sweat in, and it's typically like a crossfit workout. Like I have them doing, I had them, one of the first workout I had him do, just to like, cause like I wanted to see what he, you know, he had. 
it was uh, the triple. The evil smile of a CrossFitter. Go on. So I had so I had I had him do triple threes because you know we have a rower at the station. I he can't do double unders. So we did singles, and we have the you know the runner. So it took him. I'm like, listen, the cap's gonna be like after like he didn't know like you know they don't know terms like AMRAPs, caps, EMOM. So I'm like, listen, the cap's gonna be 45 minutes. He's like, I'm he's like I usually go to the gym for an hour. We talking about 45 minutes. I'm like, listen. <laughs> you're a bad person guido yeah. hey, listen if you're still working out after 45 minutes doing this and you have anything left knowing how i know you look god bless you but we're gonna stop it at 45 minutes so you know he he hits that and he's a puddle after on the ground like what what's happening what this is terrible i go yeah but tomorrow you feel you'll feel a lot better knowing you did that and uh He's he's one of my good friends, so I you know I, I break his balls all the time. I, I, I he's always asking me like for workouts. I give him like what I'll do for that day, but scale it down. You know, which is, he text he texted me yesterday. Um, yeah, I need a workout for the day. What 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 should I do? I go. Well, I sent him what I did, which was at at uh, the, the cross the gym I go to in Woburn, where my where my wife works. Cross the Woburn, uh, they follow Lynchpin, so. I gave him what we did yesterday, which was uh or two days ago. Sorry. Um, which was pretty much, uh, what was it? You know, I don't even remember. <laughs> it was hard. That's how, that's how much you work out. But I, I gave it to him and, you know, I gave him the dumbbell version pretty much. And he was like, wow, that was, it was only like two rounds. Wait, was it? Yeah, it was two rounds. And he was like, he looked at it. He goes, yeah, that's going to be pretty quick. I go, no, it's going to be at least 20 minutes. Trust me on that. He goes, all right. He texts me. He goes, that was terrible. He goes, I didn't expect it to be able. I go, yeah, it looked simple on paper. Two rounds, three movements, nothing crazy. Oh, it was run. Yeah, it was run muscle ups and um something else and a uh, run dumbbell burpees and muscle ups. So I had him do pull ups and dips instead of the muscle ups. And uh, he was like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. He's like, I went home and took a nap, relaxed. And then uh, another guy that I work with is just. He's like. Actually, you know, it's it's cliche to say he's like the Ameri- he's like the uh, the American dream. You know, he's a he's an immigrant from Ireland and served in the served in the army here, and and um, he's a cop now. Full Irish brogue, like crazy guy. He's 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 a funny kid. He's a funny guy, and he's like forty ish. He's a, he's older, but he's like he's probably up to my like my neck, and I'm no I'm like five nine, so he's got to be like five five. Five four, and uh, he had you know he was like listen I, with the with the brogue hey I hear you're working with Joe do you think you- <laughs> yeah yeah I'll help you out no problem I'll, I'll work with you I don't care I'm like yeah just come work out with me and Joe and I'll I'll get you on That's the program awesome. and, we'll, and we'll work and you know and actually he's one of the older guys he's like forty ish and um, I want to say like mid forties he's old he's a little long in the tooth but uh hey, hey mid forties is not that old right Seven? No, not that. Not no, not at all. Guido, did you uh, did you win the Guido? Did you win the gauntlet at Wadapalooza last year? Uh, I won two years ago. Yeah, I won the intermediate gauntlet. Yeah, I the only reason I didn't do RX was because the the snatch was two twenty five and the scaled, which I was like, nope, can't do that. So smart man. What was that like? That was that that was a brutal test. That was. I was, thank God COVID and lockdowns hit like a week later because I was smashed for like three months. I couldn't even think about working. That was, I've done, I've done like a few, few hard competitions, like two day competitions and like, 
that was probably the hardest work a workout I've workouts I've ever done, competition I've ever done, and it was only an hour each day. It was one hour. I think it was like six workouts. Seven. Do you know what this is? No, but I'm dying to know. Tell me, I'm dying to know. Guido can tell you about it, the maybe specifically, but. Basically, there's a ton of guys, and they run them through six workouts in an hour in these heats all day, and they're looking for the best. It's the fans. It's not competitors. Yeah, so you like just sign up, and you really don't. I think it was like twenty bucks or whatever. The back the backstory was my wife hates me because I like took the shine from her, I guess. So she went down there to uh, compete on a team, and she was on a team, and then like I was like, "What am I gonna do?" You know, I was gonna drop in the gyms and stuff like you like anyone does that. Goes down to Miami, they just drop in the gym to work at a workout. I'm like, you know, let me. I saw this going, like, what's this? And I looked at the workouts, and I was like, oh, I can do all those. So what it is is like an hour. You like, they give you an hour, and you do one workout after another after another. I think it was like four workouts within that hour, and it's just heat after heat after heat, and um, you get smashed pretty much. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, and uh, and uh, somehow I made I made I made the um, made the finals and I won. I, it was, I was, I was shocked to be honest with you. I didn't think I was, you look, play. it's on his Instagram side and you look a little bit shocked on the podium. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> he was dead. It was, a, it was a, the funniest part was that my wife goes, if you get a first place shirt, like at the games or anything, you're on a podium. I'm just, she's like, I'm going to, that's it. This is the biggest scam of all time. She always says, and sure enough, I'm in the back with a first place shirt on. And I'm like on the podium. And I'm just dying laughing. <laughs> were you really? Were you really? You felt it for three months after that. I felt it for a good like, like few weeks. Like I was smashed. Like I couldn't. I was actually. I was like. I never worked out that hard ever. Like I. We used to do like, uh, like competitors classes on a Saturday, or you know, like long Monday mashes from Lynchpin and stuff like that. Nothing like it. That was the hardest I've ever like trained or worked out. That was crazy. Did, did, did you meet your wife at a CrossFit gym? She was actually my coach. She was my coach. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so the, I went. I uh, my my CrossFit thing was like I went to a, a gym where I went to like a CrossFit gym in uh, the city I lived in at the time, and it was like a low level kind of like. You know, we all, you know, there's, it's not, not, it's like a not competitive gym. It's just, it's just a gym so for people to get fit and then, you know, you get competitive. And then I went to another gym where she worked that I, I didn't know at the time, obviously. I just went to that gym because it was a more competitive gym with more people that are, you know, compact. So I wanted to try to, like, the goal at the time was always, I want to get to regionals. I want to get to regionals. I want to get to regionals. But, you know, obviously now that's changed. But back then it was, that was the goal. So you wanted to um, go to a more competitive gym. And she was the coach there, you know. Whatever. I was dating a girl at the time, and then me and my ex, we broke up, whatever, and I moved out, and me and her just hit it off. We went on a couple of dates and never... But you guys have competed together also, right, in some local team competitions? Yeah. Yeah, we got we to gotta hold that title, so... Do you ask the coach out, or does the coach ask you out? How's that work? She, didn't, she had no idea. I knew a friend that... Uh, Another coach that was there, but me and the other coach were friends or whatever. And it was like, I was like, I think I might ask uh, Rachel to go out. Like, yeah, you like it? I'm like, well, I take her class every day. I don't mind looking at her. That's for sure. So, I mean, just try to, you know, ask her out. It's, 
it's in, it's in, it's interesting. Uh, oh man, it, um, you know, you, you're younger and you're doing it. You obviously were doing it at the. You are doing it at this higher level, but as but you, as get, you older, get older, you will you'll see. see. There's you no are. Trust, me. Trust, me. Trust me. Trust you me. Are. You are. Um, as you get older, I think you will really, really, really see how fortunate the two of you are to have found each other. Because as you get older, and, and you know, as, as the smartest people on the planet know, the most important thing we have is our health. And if you don't, the only time, unfortunately, people realize that is when they lose their health. And it's so cool that you found someone who has a practice that's about longevity, being a better person, constantly working on yourself. Whether you want to or not, if you go to a CrossFit gym or you do anything you know, in this, in this realm, you have to get better every single day. And that doesn't mean your scores have to get better, but you have to work on yourself. Like you know your days are limited with eating like shit. You know what I mean? Like because at some – you've put a premium on – and not that you eat like shit by the way. You eat amazing if you're doing carnivore six days a week. But you know what I mean? Each day you get older, you have to whittle away at becoming better and better and better to maintain um, – with discipline and lifestyle habits in order to feel good because you don't have the, the room as, as it, that you do as a young man. But you're really fortunate that you found a woman who's on the same path as that because in the end, really – you just want to not have anyone wipe your ass. You want to be able to wipe your own ass for as long as possible, right? As Greg would say, that's the goal. That's the end game. You want to be able to, be able to I want to, when I have a kid, I want to be able to run around with them. I want to be able to like be active with them. It's not, I want to be able to play football with my kid or whatever they decide to get into, you know? I don't want to be that that sloppy dad in the stands with the, with the beer belly. and That's like, oh, remember me in high school? That was good. And now look at me. Well, God, this is this is so sad to say, but it, but I think it's true. At least that kid has a dad, right? I mean, at least that kid fucking has a dad. I mean, it's like, shh, yeah, he's at the fifty yard line. But I totally know what you mean. You want to be you want to be a good example. It's funny. I hadn't done a muscle up in two years because my shoulder was bothering me, and now my kids, my oldest is six, and he's ready to start doing them. So a, a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple months ago, I'm like, okay. I better start doing negatives and get a couple muscle ups in the book so that I can show my son. But it is it's it it's an amazing thing to be able to move and do these things. That's a that's a big thing. Just that little thing, like oh, I gotta do this so I can show them. I, I like it's he's gonna take you seriously because you've done it. You know, I right. You see a lot of coaches at gyms that are like oh, they're gonna teach me how to do a pull up, but they can't do a pull up. Yeah, you know, that's you. You kind of respect a lot more. You take their word a lot more seriously than the others. You know, right? My um, do you do any? Do you work out with your wife at all? Do you guys work out together? Yeah, we we try to get. I try. We don't like make it a point, but I'm like, hey, I'm going to the gym. I'm taking the noon or whatever. If she's she's typically coaching the noon when I'm if I take it or, but that's kind of the. I always go like the noon when it's my work day because that's what works the best for my schedule. So. I hit that, and she's if she's not coaching it, she's usually in the class too. So we, it's not like a, a conscious effort of like, oh, we got to work out together, you know. Well, let's say if you guys traveled together, would you do a hotel room workout together? Like, would you be like, okay, babe, you do twenty burpees, I do twenty burpees. Let's get in like five or six rounds this morning. We don't have a lot of time. Or do do, do is there anything like that? Or I'll be we're we're kind of like like a typical CrossFit couple in the sense of like we travel. We're gonna drop into like a gym, like we're gonna go out of our okay. way. We're gonna find a gym to cross to, to go to, you know. And 
that's like the cool. I've, that's one of the cooler things to do in the community, you know. Just see other gyms, meet people. Like when we, we went to, when we went to uh, yeah, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are intimidated to do that, so it's. I think it's good just to share that and say like, you can drop into a box anywhere you go, man. They're all, almost always going to be welcoming and accommodating. Always welcoming, always well. I mean, I don't know now, you know, COVID restrictions, but I'm sure if you go to Texas, they're cool with it. So, but yeah, I mean, like we went to Tennessee. We're like we 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 were in Nashville. So we went to a gym in Nashville, and then we were like, I think, like a half hour out of uh, uh, Cookville. So we said, you know, screw, it. we're gonna rent the car. We're gonna, we'll go, we'll take a drive and drop in at Cookville. That was that was that's that was one of the sicker gyms. It's that and Reykjavik were two of the sickest gyms we went to. You've been to is that Reykjavik's in Iceland? Yeah, Annie's gym. Yeah, we went there. That's that's oh. A, oh. that's a crazy gym. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Like you think. Cookville's big, and then you go there. They have when you have you ever been to to Reykjavik or seen it? I, many many years ago, maybe they've moved since I've been there. Many many years ago. So when you went there, did they have that big, big open facility where it was like three or four platforms of like classes going on at once? Honestly, I can't remember. I can't remember. I remember we went there. We we ended up talking to the owner. I forget his name. And uh, he was like, yeah, we have a wait list of, we can't even take people for memberships now. We have, we have a wait list of, of hundreds of people trying to get in, but we can't even take them because we just don't have the room. They literally have, you walk in and like there's a, a typical size CrossFit gym floor in one section. Next to it's another one. Next to it's another one. Next to it's another one. There's literally four. Equipment everywhere. Crazy. I can't imagine the amount of money they spent on that. But there's legitimately full classes going on, on every platform. It's it's crazy. That's something that's. I mean, it's, that's something I wish happened in the U.S. Like so many people taking their fitness seriously and making it a priority. Because that's. Everything. I've seen I've seen pictures of the inside of their gym when there's like sixteen assault runners lined up back to back to back. Like those cost four grand each. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like if you think Cookville's big thing, I think. From what I remember, I want to say Reykjavik is probably like two and a half mayhems. Absolutely massive. They have some crazy numbers going on in Iceland, like more CrossFit gyms per capita than any other country in the world. And I mean, I know they only have like three or 400,000 people, but I want to say with the one time I heard a number that Annie's gym had 800 members. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, he told us, I, I forget the exact number, but I think it was like 800, 900 members, active members, and he had a wait list for more even like 200, 300 more people trying to get in, but he just didn't have, didn't have the room for it. Do you think you'll ever open a gym? Uh, it crossed my mind a little bit, but then I'm like, I just, I don't have the time. I, I Time is very not in my favor with the, with work, you know? We gotta, I, have to, I have to work a lot to provide, so it is what it is, but, you know, she, I, she, uh, I asked her if, you know, if that's something she would want to do. she, same and like she doesn't want to own the gym and deal with the typical gym owner stuff so it's understandable you know very well speaking of time guido thank you for your service i mean that from the bottom of my father's heart no my fatherly heart i i thank you for your time i respect everything that police officers do i know that they're just human beings out there they're people's moms dads sisters brothers i wish the world would see that more and, and realize that we're all just people here and that you've chosen 
a, a, a path to, to give yourself to society, but you're just a person as valuable as the rest of us. And anyway, thank you very much for everything you do. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, this is unbelievable. You obviously raised well because you DM with random people on Instagram and come on their podcast. So you should probably work on that. Hey, anyway, yeah. I mean, you had me on your podcast, so it says even worse for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks, Thanks man. Too. Thanks, Peter. Nice meeting you guys. Don't hang Don't up. Don't hang up.